You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. All right, everybody, it's Tuesday, May 31st. 2022 it is indeed a heck of a morning live on the mma fighting twitter spaces and then once the show wraps we'll be live on the mma fighting podcasting network i am mike heck hope everyone had a great weekend if you were in the united states you had a great long weekend i know it's one of those memorial days not one you typically celebrate because of what it means but Certainly, you honor those who have given the ultimate sacrifice while you spend time with family. And yeah, I hope you guys all enjoyed that and ready to, to ramp it back up because we got a rare UFC list weekend and then it's going to be off to the races for the foreseeable future. We got this Saturday, they're back. UFC Vegas 56, I think this one is. Maybe it's 57. I don't know. I think it's 56. That's Jarzinho Rosenstrike versus Alexander Volkov in the main event. And then June 11th, we got the big UFC 275 event. June 18th, more fans in Austin, Texas. UFC Austin. And then June 25th is back at the Apex, which is going to be weird after having two events with crowds. And then we go to the UFC Apex and we have a main event like Armand Sarukian versus Batush Gamrot in a near-empty apex. Just doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem fair. And then right after that, we have UFC 276, July 2nd in Las Vegas, International Fight Week. So we are off and running. There will be a Bellator event mixed in between on June 24th. That's the card headlined by Gegard Busasi versus Johnny Eblen. I know they're doing a virtual press conference for that event today. But yeah, so we're off and running. Hope you guys had a nice weekend off because we're not going to have very many of those over the next couple of months. So whatever you want to talk about today, we're just going to turn it on over. We're just going to be loose as a goose today and just let you guys get after it. So first on the docket, my man, Four Corner Sports. Hey, Mike. Uh, heck of a morning, by the way. How are you, sir? What's um, Congratulations on yourself for making the finals. That's right. That's right. Go C's. Here we go. And everyone's counting them out already, Four Corner Sports. Everyone's counting them out already. And I love it. I love it so much. I don't know. I'll be surprised. I won't be surprised that they win it all. But uh, I wanted to talk about Mazda and Connor. Um, I know that they've been going back and forth. I know people have been wanting to see that's a matchup um, that Connor should probably fight. Um, I know Mazda has said in the past that he's too big for him, but. Is that the right matchup for Connor to come back to, especially if he wants to stay at 170? Um, I mean, I don't know. And then also, what's with uh, Masvidal's situation? Like, will he be able to fight again this year with his uh, court and legal battles? And then I want to talk about uh, Davidson Figueredo. He uh, I, there was a report that he got upset about the interim title fight between Kai Car France and uh, Brandon Moreno. If he is going to be leaving the division, like, what's the ceiling for him when he goes up to Bantamweight? And, you know, what challenges, you know, will, you know, arise for him 
if he moves up a division. Because, I mean, the last couple of times he tried making flyweight, it looked like he was sucking all the weight out of him. And he didn't have, you know, um, he didn't look healthy making flyweight. So what challenges could he have at bantamweight? And would that be an easier transition for him moving up to 135? All right, I'll, I'll uh, hang up and uh, be ready to listen. Thank you, Four Quarter Sports. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of you saw sort of back and forth in different ways between Conor McGregor and Jorge Masvidal and the question of it being the right fight probably is at this point. I mean, both guys are still stars, but I mean, well, I don't want to say neither are in the title picture because Conor is always in the title picture. Mazadal is not in the title picture at all at 170. And McGregor is in the title picture in two divisions right now. And whether you want to admit it or not, he is in the mix at 155 and he's probably in the mix at 170 for the title, even though he hasn't fought and even though he's lost his last couple and gotten finished in his last couple, gotten finished in three out of his last four appearances. Yeah, I mean, he's still in the mix despite all that because he is the biggest star in the history of the sport, and he's still the biggest star in the sport currently. But I like that fight. I like I like McGregor Mazadal. It's two guys who are just going to stand in there and, and slug it out. There won't be takedowns. No one's getting suffocated on the ground. And it's a probably a 50-50 fight. Like I know Mazadal is, is the bigger fighter, and the, the big concern from Dana White and the UFC brass is – you know, Connor's too small for Mazadal, but I think stylistically, I think with Connor's strength and his power, I mean, I think he matches up fine with Mazadal. Unless Mazadal ter- wants to turn into a takedown artist himself. I mean, I, I I don't know. It's an interesting fight. It's an interesting matchup. It raises a lot of questions. It's one that I would have to go watch tape for to to kind of make a pick. And you have two of the biggest stars of the sport. So makes sense. I like it. And you can use that for a main event for pretty much any card from Vegas to MSG to Mexico to Dublin. All and like that that can head that can headline in freaking Salt Lake City, Utah. You can put that fight anywhere in a main event spot, and people are gonna watch it and people are gonna order it. And you may only have both of these guys as big time main eventers and pay-per-view selling draws. Only for so long. Like, how long? I think McGregor's only got two fights left at his deal. You don't have a lot left with him. And then Mazel just signed a new deal. But if he loses to Connor, man, that's a that's a tough one for him. He's still a draw. He could still you could still use his name for other things. But man, I think that's a good fight, though. I think it's probably the way to go. And I think we're all sort of feeling that after Covington. In my opinion, 50 44 Jorge Mazadal. But and then with the the figgy stuff, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I don't know what Figueredo expected to happen there. You know what I mean? This was I told you guys on the show in Jackson when I was in Jacksonville that that was a possibility that we were gonna that the UFC was discussing Brandon Moreno versus Kai Car Fred sometime in July, and they weren't gonna do that just on an island, they were going to do an interim title fight for that. Like you have Moreno who was supposed to get another shot at the title that he just lost in a fight that a lot of people still think Moreno won. 
And then you have Kaikar France, who's just on this nice run. He just beat Askar Askarov and hitting him his first loss. There's no way they were just going to do this fight as a like a three round fight on a pay per view. It made no sense. So I don't know what Figueredo expected here. Well, I mean, you're, is he really that surprised that the UFC is going the interim title route with Figgy on the sidelines for the for most of the year? He's saying at this point now they're saying like end of the year. They're saying anywhere from October to December at this point. So the UFC, when they have an opportunity to put on an interim title fight in a division that doesn't is always fun and always produces interesting matchups and exciting fights, but not doesn't typically draw a ton of money, doesn't headline pay-per-views, they're just not going to put an interim. Like, I don't know what he expected. I don't know what the surprise is. So if you miss this, Figueredo is saying that he might perhaps go up to 135 and just say, to hell with it. If they want to do an interim title, just make it for the real belts and I'll just go up to 135. How does he how does he match up at 135? Pretty interesting. He's still a very good fighter. He's a powerful guy. I like the adjustments he was able to make in, from the Moreno fights. There's my dog barking. But I, I like the adjustments he made and the weight cut. He, he looked pretty darn good on that scale. He looked shredded. I don't think he could have cut a single ounce more off of his body at that point. But obviously, one thirty-five will be easier for him. He's a pretty good. He'd be a pretty good sized bantamweight. The problem is, if the move to thirty-five is for legacy, and I want to win a second title, and I want to do this and do that with with championships and become a bantamweight champion, it's going to be a long wait for him. I don't think it's going to be one of those things where they're just going to throw him into a title fight right away. I think it's going to be a little while before that happens because you got you got Aldo, you got Dillashaw. Maybe Henry Cejudo. I don't feel like going on down that road again. And now you get Figgy in there. I although I would I would put Figgy ahead of Cejudo in the title conversation right now. Why? Because he's actually you know fighting people. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Let's go to Tristan. What's up, buddy? Good morning, Mike. How's everything? It is good, man. How are all right, you? All right, all right. Um, I want to talk about um, this Saturday's card. Um, I want to know for you, what is the most, you know, what you're looking for as far as specific fighters on this car that's happening on Saturday? I mean, it's, 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 it's really, um, really some interesting, um, fighters I'm looking forward to. Obviously, you know, I'm looking forward, obviously Aaron Blanchfield versus DJ Aldridge. I am, I'm going to be locked into that fight and it starts the main, it starts the prelims, which is stunning, especially how Aaron Blanchfield has come out the gate. And then um, I want you to, uh, Jeff Molina is another one. Uh, you've talked about him a lot, especially being, you know, being cornered with um, James Krause. I want your thoughts on him because I, I, he's very, very interesting in that flyweight division. He is tough as nails. The guy could be losing, but then he'll come back and then win. Um, and then there's Joe Selecki's coming off his first loss in the UFC. I want you, I want your thoughts about him. And then, um, and then uh, Evolove. Who I'm very I'm disappointed he's not fighting um, Ilya Taporia, which I wanted to see the worst way, but he's going to fight Dan Ige. So I want your thoughts on that. And then, um, other than this card, what intriguing fight other fight night card are you looking at as well coming up in these months? I want to know your thoughts on that. Um, so be very interesting. All right, Mike. Thanks. Thank you, Tristan. Uh, so a lot to unpack there. 
I would say there's two fighters that I'm really looking at here. One is one you mentioned already, Mavzar Evloyev taking on the Wiley Vets and Dan Ige. And I know he was booked to fight Ilya Teporia, and I know we're all excited about him fighting Ilya Teporia. But I think all in all, at the end of the day, I think things kind of worked out a little bit because Ilya Teporia got to be on that London card. He got one of the best knockouts of the year. Probably was the front runner for knockout of the year for about 15 minutes against Jai Herbert before Meatball Molly McCann went down and spinning elbowed herself into that spot. This is before, obviously, Michael Chandler front kicked Tony Ferguson right in the freaking face. But, yeah, so great moment for him. It was that 155. He had that moment with Patty Pimblett, which went bananas. So that raised his stock a little bit, just being in the same conversation. So he got a different kind of a vet test. Evloyev getting Dan Ige, it's a really interesting fight. It's a really good opportunity for him. It's a co-main event. Dan is super tough. Dan's the kind of guy that everyone's going to count out in this spot, and you probably shouldn't, although I am favoring Evloyev because he's super good. But Ige is no joke. He's not just a, a guy who's just going to roll over and let Evloyev just get over on him. It's, it's not going to happen that way. Now, Evloyev is a super talented guy, and he can certainly find his way to 16-0. and I'm predicting he does, but I think Ige is going to give him one hell of a fight. You mentioned Joe Selecki. I like Joe a lot. Great guy. One of the nicest guys you'll ever speak to in the sport. Looking forward to this fight with Alex Silva. The ground exchanges should be a lot of fun. Both these guys are ex- ex- just great grapplers, experienced grapplers, very sneaky, very slick. So I am looking forward to that. Jeff Molina, I, as I've been saying for about four years now, Jeff Molina, the sky is the limit on this kid. Jeff Molina, and he will say this himself, he has said this in interviews with me and many others, Jeff Molina's toughest opponent is Jeff Molina. Jeff Molina is Jeff Molina's toughest opponent. What I mean by that is, I actually think him fighting at the apex is actually better for him. I think the smaller crowd, I think him just being in this spot, the third fight on this card, there'll be people in the apex, but there's not going to be 15,000 people in there. And I think Jeff just kind of feeds off that crowd energy almost to his detriment where it's the crowd could sort of guide him into the fight they want to see. And he will just sort of get into that. You know what I mean? Like his one of one of his fights. Let me go back. I have to look at it. I forget who who he fought. This was in front of a crowd and he was winning comfortably. Arichi Lang, UFC 261, UFC debut. He's got the crowd. This is the first event with a crowd in a, since the pandemic. And he gets into this crazy exchange. He's winning and then almost gets knocked out with like 15 seconds left in the fight by Arichi Lang. And then he comes back at the apex, smaller crowd, doesn't have to deal with all that noise and things like that. And he goes out, has a tremendous performance, gets a finish, and voila. We, we start to see just how talented this kid is. Now, Zalgas Zumagulov is a tough out in his own right. I like this test. I think it's actually a perfect step up for him, and I like that it's going to be in the apex so he can't really fall into the crowd effect. You mentioned Aaron Blanchfield, J.J. Aldrich. I know that, Tristan, that is the fight you'll be watching. That's the one you're looking at. It's a great fight. This is a good step up for Aaron Blanchfield. She's really, I mean, J.J.'s a grinder, man. She is a, she's a vet. She fights like a vet. She's not going to roll over for Aaron Blanchfield in any way. So I like the matchup. I favor Aaron to get the win. But this is this is a good fight. 
this is exactly what you want to see in, in terms of the build because we're talking about Manon Fioro. She's getting ready to fight Caitlin Chukagian. I mean, we're seeing this next generation of 25ers on the way up. Viviani Arujo. We're seeing, you know, Alexa Grasso find her way. We're seeing Macy Barber getting ready for a big fight with Jessica I. And the one that a lot of people seem to have circled as the next big thing, the one that eventually with time and some more seasoning could give Valentina a run for, the, for her money. Everyone seems to be looking at Aaron Blanchfield in this discussion. And I don't really blame you, but this is, if we're going to build one of these up and comers a little bit slower, I like that it's Aaron Blanchfield getting built a little bit slower. You want to push some of these other, other talented women up the ladder quickly, go right ahead. But I don't think you should do that with every single one of them. I think we should slow roll some of these prospects, Aaron Blanchfield especially. But the fight I'm looking forward to that I'm intrigued about maybe the most is one of the newest fights on this card because Felice Herrig is coming back to the UFC for the first time in almost two years. And she's fighting Karolina Kovalkiewicz. They're rematching. And this fight literally came out of nowhere. I think it was announced on Friday, but it came out of nowhere. And if you follow Felice Herrig on social media, she's been teasing a comeback for a little while. And here we are, just literally out of the blue, thin blue sky, Felice Herrig, Carolina Kovalkiewicz 2 is coming up this Saturday on a fight night card. It is Herrig's first fight since August of 2020 when she was armbarred by Verna Janjaroba at UFC 252 in like a minute 45 before that she lost to Michelle Watterson unanimous decision before that she lost to Carolina Kovacavich split decision UFC 223 the craziest fight week of all time that was the Habib ally Quinta craziness with the dolly and all that stuff but three fights since 2018 Felice Harry Carolina Kovacavich this fight's happening and nobody even freaking knew about it until Friday so how about that that's the one I'm uh, I'm looking at because it just, I, I was like, what the hell is happening here? It's not a bad fight night card. I mean, the main event is, meh, it's okay. It's just, this is what the UFC does. They say, oh, we have two heavyweights that are ranked. Let's just throw them in a main event. And it's like, on paper, stylistically, it's like the seventh best fight and most intriguing fight on this entire card. Not trying to disrespect either fighter, but that's just what it is. And then looking at the rest of the fight night slate, I mean, how could you not be excited for... Actually, I think they are, they're all pretty solid after this. UFC 275, you get two title fights. The Austin card's really solid with Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett is the main event. I love that fight. In my opinion, that should be the number one contender fight. The winner of that fight should fight for the belt against the winner of Volkanovski versus Holloway. Unless, of course, Holloway wins. Then if you want to do, as New York Rick can attest to... If Holloway wins and we want to do Volkanovski Holloway four, let's do it. Two best guys. Let's get after it. We can do a best of seven for all I care. And I will watch each and every one of those fights. But Cater Emmett is a great fight. Sarukian Gamrod as a main event is a tremendous fight. And then we go to UFC 276, which is a good, a really good card. RDA. We got uh Rafael versus Rafael coming up July 9th on a fight night main event. Then we got Brian Ortega, Yair Rodriguez, July 16th, in a crowd in Long Island, or on Long Island, excuse me. And then we're off to London again. 
for that July 23rd card that's pay-per-view, another pay-per-view in Dallas. So listen, we're, what, I'm trying to, we don't, we, we have a card every week from now until I'm still looking. So after UFC 278 right now is scheduled for August 20th. Although we don't have a location yet. I know it's rumored maybe Salt Lake City, but nothing is done on that front yet. So we have a car, we have a UFC event every single Saturday from now until after till UFC 278. From now until August 20th. Almost three straight months of Saturdays we have UFC cards. Then they get a week off and then they go to Paris. And then we're off and running again. So if you guys uh were like, oh man, week week off stinks, blah, blah, blah. You're okay, because now we're not getting a weekend off for, for a long, long time. You're good to go. And it's all in all these cards, all these main events, outside of maybe this Saturday, are really strong. So if you're an MMA fan, you get a lot to be excited about. So if you want to hop on in, give your thoughts. I mean, listen, normally we'd be recap, recapping a UFC event of some kind, and we didn't really have one this weekend. We got to watch Pujanowski... We got to watch Pooj go out there and just be uh be vicious. Anyone see that KO? KSW KO is nuts. That KSW event was brutal. There's a lot of like freak injuries that just made you cringe. And then Pooj's knockout was redonk. We got Jimmy Wang Yang in here. Is this the former WWF superstar? Or WWE, excuse me. What's up, Jimmy? Just make sure you unmute. No, no, just a fan, just a fan. Okay. <laughs> I figured. What's up, man? How you man? doing, Mike? Good morning. I'm doing good, man. I'm That's doing good. good. Hey, so how do we feel about Holloway Volkanovski, especially if Holloway wins? Because I know a lot of people had Holloway winning that the second fight, like myself, even though the judges do what they do and just mess up, you know, an event from time to time. How do we feel if Holloway wins and they put a fourth fight on the table because it would be like, well, we just seen Holloway kind of win twice in a row. Oh, all right. Interesting. So I, I will address a couple of things there. One, I'm all in on those guys just fighting forever. You want to keep throwing those two guys in there and just fight all the time. I I'm in, I would watch Volkanovsky Holloway fight every weekend. If we could do that, because and I've, and I've said this on the show many times. Go back and just rewatch that second fight. If you are looking for the most underrated fight maybe in UFC history, that is the one. That is just five rounds of highly high-level physical and mental chess. It was phenomenal. Just watching how much Holloway changed his style, how much he improved from fight one to fight two, the success he was having over those first 10 minutes and then watching Volkanovsky make his adjustments in the middle of that fight, heading into the third round, rounds three, four, and five. All the adjustments he made, how much he improved in the middle of the fight. It was incredible. It was incredible. And it was probably, you know, people talk about robbery and close fights and all that stuff. That might be the closest fight you will ever watch. That might be the absolute closest fight you will ever watch in your life. 
Now I've scored it. I've scored that fight the exact same every single time that I've watched it from watching it live to the probably 35 other times that I've watched it since I scored it for Volkanovsky every single time live. I scored it for Volkanovsky and I've gone back and watched it over 30 other times just to see if I'm missing something because there were two, there were two times in my career where I got destroyed on Twitter. Most people are pretty respectful on Twitter. This is the occasional POS, but for the most part, people are very nice. But there were two times where people just really crushed me. One was a couple weeks ago with the Vieira Holly Holm situation. I didn't think it was a robbery, got destroyed for that. And then the other one was saying that Volkanovsky Holloway 2 was not a robbery. It got absolutely annihilated for that. And why? It was such a close fight. But every single time I've watched it, I've scored it for Volkanovsky. I gave Holloway rounds one and two and Volkanovsky three, four, five. But they were super close. And I've gone back so many times and watched to see, like, what am I missing? Am I missing anything here? Is there something that Holloway did that that maybe outshined Volkanovsky in one of the last three rounds? And I just didn't see it. And it's not saying that Holloway didn't fight a phenomenal fight because he did. But just Volkanovsky was just a, just a, a nose better, just a hair better in those final 15 minutes. It's such a good fight. And I hate that we... We talk about this fight in such a negative light because of how the judges scored it. But just if you just want to go watch a fight for the purity of fighting, just go watch that fight. It's so good. Watch it on mute. And I'm not saying that as a knock on the commentators. I'm just just go watch it and just enjoy it for what it is. And then don't listen to Bruce Buffer reading off the scorecards. And you will find yourself just enthralled by high level martial arts. That fight friggin' rules. And if you haven't seen it, Go back and watch it. If you haven't watched it in a long time, go back and watch it again. Don't worry about the judges' scorecards. Don't worry about the scoring. Don't worry about who wins. And don't worry if you thought it was a robbery or not. Just go watch it for how good the fight actually is because it's an all-timer. And it doesn't get the love that it deserves, in my opinion. Let's go to Joe. Actually, you had another question, Jimmy. I'll address that in a minute. But Joe... What's up, buddy? Just make sure you're on mute. What's happening, Mike? Heck of a morning. Um, Indeed. I will comment quickly and say that if DC was given the John Jones fight 13 times, he eventually would have beat John Jones, too, because they like DC. It's clear they like Max, and they're just going to keep feeding him. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's the dumbest fight made in a decade. It doesn't even make sense. To me. Why? Um why do you think that? Lost the rivalry first... before it started. I mean, DC was at least at least smart enough, had the foresight to say there's no rivalry when you lose two in a row. He lost two in a row, man. It, it's over. Give it up. But most people most people feel he won the second fight, and then he put on one of the all-time great performances against Calvin Cater. He's the next. He's the next guy. Right he's now. The, he just is. <laughs> he lost the fight. <laughs> he lost the fight. Um. I'll move on. I, I want to ask you about the main event this week. Um, so I, I bet I'm a gambler, and I've been looking at this fight, and I don't see any way this fight ends other than Volkov holding him at distance with the jab for five rounds until it's over. Um, if you see any way for Jarzinho to get there and get the job done, I'd be excited to hear how you think it could happen other than the, than the puncher's chance. 
Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And just to kind of build on Jimmy's question as well. Um, if Holloway wins, they're just going to do it again. <laughs> they're just going to run it back at Volkovsky again. And who's going to complain? Because it's just the first fight was, I mean, the first fight was just a technical chess match. The second fight was just so friggin' good. It was just amazing. And I'm very curious to see what this third fight looks like. Very curious. Things got a little weird too. Uh, after Holloway had to pull out of that March card, which is supposed to be the, I believe it was the one Covington and Mazdal headlined because they were going to do Volkanovsky Holloway three on that card. And they were going to do Sterling Young two on that card. And they ended up moving both those fights to the following month in Jacksonville, UFC 273. And obviously Korean zombie stopped it and all that stuff. So that went down. And then Holloway was, I mean, not Holloway. Volkanovsky was not happy uh, because there were talks, and I know they were very preliminary. The UFC was trying to throw that, as, as Hawadi called it, a Hail Mary for that Columbus card. There were discussions. There were early talks about maybe, maybe doing Holloway versus Josh Emmett to headline that Columbus card. I know that there were talks going on. They, I mean, wasn't really close to getting done, but they were trying to do something big because for a while – there was no main event for that Columbus card before we got eventually ended up getting the Curtis Blades, Chris Dacus fight to headline. But I mean, it's so Volkanovsky is really pissed that that got leaked and found out that Holloway, who basically had to pull out of that early March fight, might have been ready for a few weeks down the line. And he wasn't happy, said some things that he probably regrets saying now and, and said as much during the build to UFC 273. So It'll be interesting to see how Holloway approaches it, how Volkanovsky approaches this heading into July 2nd. What will be said? What will the media days be like? What will the interviews be like? How will both guys sort of approach it on that end? I'm, I'm curious to see. Your other question with this Volkov-Rosenstrike fight, this is hashtag heavyweight MMA. And while I agree with you, I like that. I mean, I actually think there's a lot of value here on Volkov at minus 155 because I think most people sort of look at it as if Volkov could just keep his distance and maybe land some takedowns and just keep Rosenstrike guessing, he should cruise here. But Jarzinho is just, Jarzinho's got that power. He just needs one thing. He just needs one of these shots to land. Plus 135. I don't know. From a gambling perspective, is there a lot of value there? I don't, it doesn't really seem that way. I see all the value on Volkov here at minus 155, but maybe you take a gander at the fight, doesn't go the distance line. I don't know. I don't know. if I, I think this fight probably doesn't go the full 25. It might, but I think even if Volkov gets cooking, he could probably get him out of there. Third, fourth round, maybe land a big body shot or something. But we'll see. We've seen stranger things happen in this sport. Let's get Jimmy back in here. Maybe a follow-up. Hey, What's up? so I uh, just address two things. Uh, Joe got on and he, he talked about DC versus John, and he compared it to Max versus Volk. But the one difference we had in both DC and John fights, we had a definitive winner, especially number two when we seen the head kick knockout or TKO. And then how do you feel about strikes versus damage? You said you had got dragged for Holly and Ketlin. And that's one of them fights where it was striking 
on one side, but the damage was on the other. So how do we score that from here on out? Like, what's what do you score for the fighter that was more active and more successful or the fighter that maybe wasn't as active and not as much successful, but when they were successful, we've seen the damage play out. See, that's a, that's a great question. And let me let me just thank you for not mentioning the OS open scoring thing because I am so freaking tired of talking about open scoring. Just give it a rest. I'm happy to to indulge in those conversations again down the road. But last week was just open scoring to death. And I'm done. I, I just don't want to talk about it right now. Now, when it comes to scoring fights, I know the great Sean Sheehan was was in here for a for a moment, but it's Here's the thing. I didn't blame Dominic Cruz talks about scoring and stuff during the fights that he's calling. And he said, and he said things like, Oh, he got a takedown. He stole the round. And I didn't, most people are just go out there and blast the fighters on commentary for saying these things. I'm not really like that. I look at it as th- there are certain times where if it happens like a thousand times in a row, you're like, okay, come on now. Like you, you, you should have known by now. But Cruz isn't on the isn't on the desk or, or, or in the broadcast booth all the time. And Cruz is 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 like an OG of the sport. And he's been fighting and and dealing with things and going down roads of here's how fights were always scored when I fought. Here's what scored. Here's how I won fights from time to time. And there are certain times where it's like riding a bike. If you do something so many times and it's been that way for so many years for over a decade or more then oh we have the electrician here so if things go haywire don't don't worry about it i'm I'm okay uh but if you're so used to something and then things just change like that and you're not ready for them from time to time it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a process where you have to to get with it now if you're looking for how to score fights in this day and age in modern mixed martial arts, there's two fights that you should probably go watch that will give you a prime example of how this all works, okay? And I know with the home Vieira fight, it was a little different because there's a lot of clinching, a lot of different exchanges where there weren't a lot of strikes thrown. There was just a, a, lot, of, a lot of clinching and, and controlling and things like that. But there's two fights that, and, and they both involve one fighter. And then there's two different opponents. But it'll tell you everything you need to know. One, Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. Two, Rob Font versus Marlon Vera. Those are two perfect examples of how scoring works in modern mixed martial arts. Because if you go and just look at the numbers, if you go, I'm going to pull them up right now, and I know I've done this done this little thing before, but I'm going to pull them up anyways, because if you didn't watch either of these fights you would think that Rob Font won both of these fights just based on the numbers themselves. So here's Rob Font, Jose Aldo. Round one, Rob Font outlands Jose Aldo 36 to 26. Round two, Rob Font outlands Jose Aldo 48 to 23. Round three, Rob Font outlands Jose Aldo 37 to 12. Round four, it's an even 10-10. That was the takedown round. Rob, round five, Rob Font outlands Jose Aldo 18 to 15. These are significant strikes. For a total of 149 to 86 in favor of Rob Font, total strikes, Rob Font landed almost 100 more strikes 
than Jose Aldo landed. But Jose Aldo won the fight. 50-45, Despite getting outstruck in four of the five rounds, couple of the rounds by almost triple. But Jose Aldo did the damage. He did the damage. He got the knockdowns. Rob Font was cruising in that first round against Jose Aldo. Cruising. And then Aldo drops him with seconds to go. That's how you steal rounds. You don't steal rounds of takedowns anymore. You steal rounds of damage. You steal rounds of knockdowns. Aldo got two big knockdowns, did all the damage, had Font in trouble, despite Font outlanding him pretty much the whole fight. Rob Font, Marlon Vera. This is more. Okay, listen to this. Round one, Rob Font outlands Marlon Vera, 57 to 26. Round two, 51 27. Round three, Rob Font outlands him 71 to 37. Round four, Font outlands him 42 36. Round five, 50 to 33. Font outlands Vera pretty much every round by a lot. But Vera's shots meant more. Three knockdowns. Almost the end of every round. We thought Font was coming back. Boom. Big knockdown by Marlon Vera. Stole rounds. The damage does everything. Damage is always top notch. You could sit there and land a million shots, but if you get cracked and you get dropped, you lose the round. That's just how it works. So those are two prime examples about how scoring is done. You could have numbers, you could have success, and you can land shots, but if you get dropped, if you get knocked down, if you if you deal with a lot of damage, despite being hit more than you are hitting your opponent, you the guy with the damage wins the round. And it's something we'll learn. It's something we're all going to learn, okay? So the more you, you listen to the Sean Sheehan's, Aaron Brownsetter jumped it. Aaron's did a great job kind of explaining it. He's been jumping into the, the scoring and the judging and all that stuff. Go watch those videos and just read them. Just read the scoring criteria. Just read what it is now, and you'll get it. Eventually, we're going to get on the same page. Open scoring isn't going to change any of this. It's not going to change any of this. They're not hand-in-hand. Hand. These aren't apples and oranges. These are... I mean, that's more... Actually, it is apples and oranges. These aren't two of the same things. These One doesn't affect the other. You know what I mean? We're trying to eat healthy. That's why I'm making fruit references. All right, probably go for like 10 more minutes. Terrence, what's up, buddy? Hello? Yes, sir. Hey. Uh, I'll make it quick because I'm in traffic. <laughs> but... Uh, in regards to not even open scoring, but in regards to like the way we judge fights, I just want to know which fight that you think that if we went back and scored it in the way that we score stuff now in regards to damage and things of that nature, um, which one do you think we would give to the loser? For example, I went back and watched Sean Brady versus Michael Chiesa last night. And in the first round, if we're going off damage, Michael did more damage when he broke um, Sean's nose. And then in the third, he clearly had him wobbled. I say a second was Sean. Another one was when, um, oh, I didn't watch this one again, but I watched DC. He was like, in Masvidal versus Usman 1, um, couldn't we have given that to Masvidal? Because it was the same thing when it's kind of a little bit story as MVP where he was like control him against the cage. For the most part, he got 50-45. So 
what advice do you think if we went back and rewatched the one more corn based off the damage purely first, you would go back and change your thoughts on the one that like take you until after like Thanks, buddy. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's one obvious one that probably, I mean, it's clearly today Johnny Hendricks would have beat GSV, right? I mean, that's that's the easiest, that, that's right there. Today's MMA, Johnny Hendricks wins that fight. There's no controversy. There's no middleweight title fight. I mean, maybe there is, I don't know. But in today's MMA, Johnny Hendricks clearly wins that fight. Um, I haven't gone back and like looked at different decisions I mean, I don't agree with the Mazadal Usman one. I think maybe Mazadal should have got the first round. You can make an argument there, but it was all Usman pretty much the rest of the way, in my opinion. I thought they were clear rounds for Kamaru, despite the whole damage conversation. But things that it, damage is damage, like knockdowns, like wobbly legs, like that's damage. Just landing a, a hard shot and, and things like that, despite losing the rest of the round, doesn't necessarily do it, but it's just. Those, those impactful moments, you know what I mean? Um, you know, an interesting one, I, I was talking to uh, to Houston Alexander. Good old 51-year-old Houston Alexander is over in BKFC just knocking fools out. I see you, Laura Sanko. You can come back in here. Um, that, he, I, he, that was one of the things he said. He, goes, he went back and looked at the – he went back and watched his fight with the, the late, great Kimbo Slice, and he even said when I spoke with him that – in today's MMA, he wins. He beats Kimbo Slice. Because Kimbo got a lot of takedowns in that fight, and that was the difference maker. But Houston definitely landed more of the damage of that fight. I haven't gone back and watched it. In the, I mean, I haven't probably watched that fight in probably seven or eight years. But from what I recall, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. So that's an example, too. But I have to go back. But Hendricks GSP is the one that certainly sticks out in my mind. What's up, Toke? Morning to you. Um, I just uh, wondered about, can we talk about a guy returning from the dead? You know, um, <laughs> Benoit Saint-Denis making his comeback after <laughs> <laughs> almost getting killed by a bad ref uh, in Abu Dhabi. Um, I don't know what to expect from him at all because all I remember is that fight. I don't remember what he did before, before you know, before he came to the UFC. Uh, I just remember him getting completely sliced up by Celeski Dos Santos with a ref that obviously had a fight go to the distance ticket. So uh, I don't know if you can uh, kind of um, talk about uh, Benoit Saint-Denis a little bit. Yes, I think you all uh, sort of remember what happened with that fight. There's a lot of controversy there because the ref didn't stop that fight. Benoit Sentity was making his UFC debut on relatively short notice. I believe that was one of the, yes, that was that October card at Abu Dhabi. Who's actually really good. Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos was, was just piecing him up. He's beating him up bad. And there were certain times in that second, I think it was the second round where Zaleski just, I mean, just put a beating on him for, for quite some time. And it seemed like the referee should have stopped it. What's that referee's name? Uh, Vyashlav Kizilev was the referee. And yeah, Sentity was just getting pummeled over and over and over again. It was looking real bad. He didn't stop the fight and their rep just got absolutely destroyed for it. But I've talked to, I've talked to like Santini's coaches after that. I talked to his manager, talked to like one or one or two of his coaches after, and they were okay with it. They're like, 
that fight shouldn't have been stopped. And I don't understand. Like, oh, because not only that, his coaches got a lot of crap because they sent him out in the third round to fight Zaleski after taking that beating in the second. And they got absolutely hammered on the broadcast, too. They got hammered on the broadcast. They got hammered by the media. They got hammered by fans on social media. And they defended themselves. They said, listen, I talked to our guy. He was good. He was fine. So we sent them back out to go fight. And he actually had a decent third round. Like, if I recall, he didn't get blown out of the water like the second round. And he had some some moments where he landed some decent shots. And we're like, oh, okay. This guy looks good. But at the end of the day, you have to sort of err on the side of caution. You don't want to see fighters take beatings like that. And his coaches seemed fine with it. And his team seemed fine with it. But at the end of the day, that was the call that was made. So that was the first loss of, of Santini's career. I think his stock actually kind of rose in that fight, despite just because of the toughness. But looking at that fight, we kind of, it's hard to really find it. Like the Cavicator Max Holloway example, where you know, Tyson Chartier, who I have so much respect for and Cater's team. And even Herb Dean took a, took a vicious beating on social media for not stopping that fight. But Tyson, I spoke with Tyson a couple weeks after that fight. And he was like, listen, I know my fighter better than anybody. I talked to Calvin in the corner and Calvin said, I'm good. Didn't have any signs, anything that scared me that, that threw me for a loop. Calvin said he wanted to keep going. And then he said, even in the fifth round, he's Calvin was bouncing up and down before that fifth round. And what was even crazier about that was when they went back to Vegas and they actually looked at Calvin's brain, like the numbers that you could go to the PI, you could look at, you know, potential damage to the head and, you know, post-fight numbers when it comes to the brain and things like that. Tyson was telling me that Calvin's numbers after that fight were lower than any of his other fights in the UFC, despite taking all that damage, which is insane, which is nuts to think about when you took a record amount of damage in that fight. But Calvin is just, Calvin Cater is just so ridiculously tough. And to see what Calvin came, and to see Calvin bounce back and have that performance against Keegan Chikadze after all that is so impressive. God, I can't wait for June 18th. That fight with Josh Emmett, Freaking rules. Let's go to James McDonald. Heck of a morning to you. What's up, buddy? Hey, um, firstly, congratulations to your Boston Celtics. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> All right. And secondly, I have a hypothetical for you. All right. Let's say Charles Oliveira defeats Islam Makachev in a title bout. Do you think that could be enough to entice Habib to come back and take on Charlie Olives? Hmm. Now, this is a very popular topic, James, and I thank you for the question. It's a very popular topic. How do I answer this? I don't think it hurts. It doesn't hurt. It certainly would raise the percentage points slightly. I truly... I just don't see Habib coming back. I don't I don't see it happening. There was a time maybe at, at last year when I felt maybe maybe we could work something out. Maybe we can get like a 
Eagle FC can get a favor from the UFC, and then Habib can come back and do the UFC a favor in return. I thought maybe there's a chance, but the more time that goes on, the less chance I think this happens, if that makes sense. I just, I don't know. If he beats Makachev, like if he goes out there and just beats Makachev and then maybe does the DX crotch chop to like Habib or something, maybe that gets him going a little bit. And then if Olvera goes out and maybe beats Dariush, I think what he's going to have to do is, because Habib talked about the comparisons, right? He was did the interview with the SBN and he basically said, you can't really compare us right now because I have... I wasn't really, haven't been really touched in my fights. I've only lost a couple of rounds. Oliveira's lost a whole bunch of times. He's getting dropped in all of his fights. Until he beats Islam Makachev and Badil Dariush and a couple of other guys, it is unfair to even compare us and put us in the same sentence, which I don't tip, I don't actually agree with. I know Terrence McKinney didn't agree with that. And that thing got a whole bunch of play on social media this past week after Terrence was on BTL. But I think if the only chance we get Hubby back is if Oliveira goes out and finishes Islam, you know, does something, and Oliveira's not a disrespectful guy, but maybe he talks a little trash, beats Darius, she gets a couple wins, maybe. But I would say don't count on, don't hold your breath for a Habib return. If it happens, I'll be I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked if it happens. Which is crazy because I feel like we were in the middle of Habib's prime. When he retired, which is, I mean, he, and he was really good no matter what. All of his stages of, of his UFC run and his MMA run, he was really good. But the guy who retired after the Justin Gaethje fight, he was only going to get, he, he may he, he may not even hit his ceiling yet, which is really scary. But Hubby was really good, and he was starting to insert his dominance a little bit more. He had a little more swagger to him. And you still see it now. You see training videos. You probably saw the one with him training with, with Luke Rockhold. And the guy's still a beast. Taking Luke Rockhold down at will, who is two weight classes above him. Three, if we're talking about Rockhold's last fight. And he just held, holds him down. Just holds him down, does whatever he wants. So we'll see. I, I doubt it, but I understand why people think that. All right, let's get Emilio in here with the final word. Emilio, just make sure you unmute and we're good. Hello, Mike. Can you hear me? What's up, man? How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's uh, it's yeah. wish you a heck of a morning. Um, yeah, just want to say I have a question, but first uh, I wanted to say that uh, thank you and the entire MMA fighting peeps uh, for doing what you do. Uh, I think you do an amazing job. You're by far one of my favorite uh, podcasts or networks or whatever you want to call it. Um, the whole package. And uh, yeah, just just keep it up. As for uh, my question, uh, it's a little bit off topic, um, but it is still related to MMA. And that is, I, I think I remember the last couple of cards um john anik at one point started <laughs> you know how he goes like uh what does he say again about the ring girls like oh yeah the beautiful whatever uh joining us i don't know something like that 
And then this time, I think a couple of cards ago, he said the the goat Ariani um, uh, was welcoming us for round one or whatever. Uh, so my so my question was regarding the topic of ring girls. Uh, do you ever think that that job per se will will change, or in the sense that maybe maybe then give them maybe the UFC gives gives them something else to do so that they're not just you know doing the same thing over and over again, which is just running around the octagon round one round two <laughs> and then smiling for the camera uh and second of all uh which one do you think or which ring girl not only from uh the ufc is the goat <laughs> of ring girls uh yeah that's my question uh like i said uh keep it up you guys are awesome and uh, see you around uh, thank you, Emilio. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I wasn't really prepared for that kind of a question. Um, I mean, Ariane Celeste is probably the GOAT, if we're being honest. She's one of the OGs and been doing it for a long time. And I think they add, I mean, they certainly add something to the broadcast. And John Anik does a great job of spotlighting them. And I mean, John Anik does a great job of spotlighting everybody. That's why I feel that John is the, he's the best. I think he's not only the best in MMA, I think he's one of the best lead play-by-play guys in in all of sports. I honestly, I think he is. I think he's one of the one of the best in all of sports right now. I think you could throw John Anik into any sports play-by-play role and he would crush it. If for some reason, if some reason there's uh like a COVID outbreak or something. And we're not, I'm not saying that this, this should happen. I'm not rooting for this, but you know, but you know where I'm going with this. Let's say something happens and ESPN needs somebody to call game one of the NBA finals. And they called John Anik to do it. He would absolutely crush it. Let's just say NFL season kicks off. NBC needs a guy. Something happens. Al Michaels can't do it or whoever's going to be doing it. They'll call John. I bet John would go in there and just, and, and crush it would just crush it. He's that good. And he knows how to spotlight the, at the right times, spotlight the fighters, spotlight the ring card girls, spotlight the sponsors, the upcoming movie that's coming out. Like he's just a, he's just a pro. He does a great job and all the ring card girls do a great job. And everybody does a great job on this broadcast. They do. They all do a great job. I think that's it. I think we have, I didn't think we were going to get 57 minutes out of this today, but gosh, Darn it, we did. We got 57 minutes out of out of the first heck of a morning of the week without a UFC card on the Saturday prior. But like I said, everybody, if you were thinking to yourself, man, that week off came at the wrong time. You don't worry about it. Next couple months of your lives, you will have UFC events. Like I said, June 4th, this Saturday, all the way until August 20th. We have cards every Saturday. Every Saturday for the next almost three months. So don't worry about it. And then after that, it's just a week off, and then the UFC heads to Paris, France. So you're good. You'll be good to go. And if you didn't watch KSW, go back and watch that, because that was a fun-ass card. Some nasty injuries, and it ended with Pooj just going out there and going ham, landing one of the most ferocious knockouts of the year. But if you're an MMA fan and – 
the UFC is not on and you're still looking for it, go follow the Kaposas of the world. They will lead you in the right direction. But we are out of here, everybody. Thank you for all the great questions. Thank you for all the great debate about close fights and scoring and robberies and all that other fun stuff. But we'll be back again on Thursday. Another busy day for us. We'll have this show. We'll have a live edition of Between the Links talking about the big news, big stories going on this week in the wonderful world of mixed martial arts. And then we are off to the races for the next couple of months with cards and lots to talk about. So thank you all very much. Have a great rest of the day. Get your coffee ready and have yourselves a heck of a morning. We'll see you on Thursday. Network.